So if you have a Bible, open it to James. And uh, we are going to be reading in James chapter 4. And uh, you may... um, you may have recognized that, or we've been saying this throughout the series, that um, it seems like every week that we go further and further into James, we continue to talk about things that we all already basically know about, we know we shouldn't do, or we know we should do, we know we should work on these things. This isn't necessarily new information that James is presenting to the early church. It's more that he is uh, pointing out the things that they have probably accepted as just a normal part of life. Yeah, we know it's not good, or we know we should be doing it, but we just, we don't, or whatever, that's normal. And so these are really the things he's saying. Um, you cannot get used to this. You cannot make this a part of your life, even if everyone else does, and it's so normal to you. And this week's especially applies to that. Um, so we're going to start in verse 13 of chapter 4, and we're going to read to verse to chapter 5, verse 6. Starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So I was really tempted uh, this week to just title the sermon, uh, Come On. And uh, it really, the, the idea to do that uh, comes out of what James says here, how he starts both uh, parts of this passage where uh, he, says, uh, he says, come now. And so I, think, I thought, you know, I'm just going to call it come on, and like the whole, ser- the whole sermon, I'm going to be like, come on, come on, come on, guys, come on, like, you know, just kind of that way. I thought after a while that seemed kind of demeaning, so I didn't go that route. But James starts off uh, in both uh, here in chapter 4 and then in chapter 5 by saying, come now. And uh, one, uh, one scholar that I was reading his commentary said, basically, the, the way you can literally translate this is listen up. Uh, like Ed was saying, it, it seems like James knows, he just understands that, that what he's talking about here isn't really anything new. It, it isn't going to be surprising or shocking or, or people are going to walk away from it and say, well, I've never thought about that. I, I, I've never considered that. Uh, in fact, we're going to do probably just the opposite. That we're going to say, oh yeah, I, I knew that and that sounds good. And, and what's more is I agree with that. And James has to say, listen up, what I'm about to tell you is not only important, but it is actually pertinent to your life. 
That, that this is actually something that runs a whole lot deeper and has a whole lot more effect than you might be prone to think it does. And, and, and so listen, listen to this. Uh, one, one scholar talking about what James is doing in this passage, his name is Douglas Moo. That's an awesome last name. Um, says, James is challenging the attitude of well-to-do people who arrogantly suppose that they can think and act without reference to God and to eternity. Well-to-do people who are arrogant enough that they think, hey, whatever we think about, whatever we do, we don't really need to take God or eternity into consideration. I think that's one reason why we would be prone to read this passage on top of all of the language that James uses, and it's pretty vivid, and it's kind of over the top, and you're like, wow, this just doesn't sound like me. I'm, I'm not an arrogant person. I, I, I don't do these things. I, I don't treat people this way. I, I'm fair to other people. But what James is really talking about here is something that is really common for all of us. Maybe the most common thing ever. He's talking about trying to predict the future. Predicting the future is something that we all do. And it's not, notice he doesn't say anywhere, this isn't saying, hey, if you're reading palms or looking in the crystal balls to try to predict the future and figure out what's going to happen, that's wrong, that's of the devil. He doesn't go there. He actually talks about something that is all too common for all of us. He talks about making plans. He says there in verse, in verse four, uh, 13 and 14, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I mean, we've all done this. We've all said like these exact things, haven't we? I mean, how many of us have ever made plans, right? All of us. I mean, we, we, we did that as soon as like yesterday, right? You made plans to come here this morning. You talked about yesterday. What are we going to do tomorrow? Well, we're going to go to church. I, I was actually thinking about it. I, I think that uh, this Sunday uh, with the time change, you could call it like live stream Sunday though, because it's like the one Sunday that you're like, hey, let's just, you know, it's a good Sunday to sleep in. Let's just, uh, let's stay in bed, you know, we'll live stream it, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but you made plans. We, we, we talk about these things. We, we, we make these plans. It, it's wise to do that. It, it's, it's kind of foolish to like walk around never thinking about like what are we going to do in the future? What, what, does, what does tomorrow hold? What, what maybe are we going to, how are we going to spend our weekend? What are you doing this weekend, right? It's like the most common questions we even ask people all the time, isn't it? And so it's, I think it's really easy to read what, what James is saying here. And the first thing we kind of do is say, this is, this is kind of crazy, man. It's kind of crazy that you wouldn't expect people to say these things, to be thinking this way. It, or it, it seems to kind of run, like we talked about a few weeks ago, counterintuitive with what Scripture says elsewhere. But if we understand what James is addressing, the, things, the specific things he's saying that they were planning about and what they were saying about them in the context of where they live, it starts to make a whole lot of sense. Because they're talking about things that are highly questionable. They're talking about things that are not certain. Things that to us sound pretty trivial are actually a big deal back then. Like, take for instance, it says this group of what is a, a Christian businessmen are, are standing around. They're talking about uh, their plans and where they're going to go. And they say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town. And so just right there with travel. 
Doesn't sound like a big deal for us. We talk all the time about travel plans and how we're going to go somewhere. And, and, you know, we never really kind of consider that maybe like we might not make it there. But in their day, travel was a whole lot more dangerous than it is for us now. Uh, They would travel on roads that, uh, in most places, Rome still had not built roads. And so they were using roads that were carved out by sheep herders. They were were made for sheep. They they were on treacherous pathways, and and they weren't well-traveled. And so you were always susceptible to somebody mugging you on the way. Uh, where, where I'm from, uh, it, it, it kind of r- relates to um, something that is uh, a problem where I'm from and that in Kentucky, and that is uh, all of the back roads in Kentucky are, were, used to be wagon trails. Like they, they haven't really like changed the, the roads and that sort of thing. And so there are these narrow roads, and, and when they went in and they like paved them and, and they actually excavated them and stuff, they just kind of stuck to like the size that they were back then. And so all of the roads, back roads in Kentucky, none of them have shoulders. It's just two lanes. Sometimes it's like a lane and a half, really. And so Kentucky actually has one of the highest mortality rates for young drivers in the nation because on all of these back roads that I grew up driving on and learning how to drive and going way too fast on, there's nowhere to go. If you're cutting a corner because you're going too fast on one of these windy back roads and you come around the corner and there's somebody else in that lane, there's nowhere safe for you to go. That's like it was back then. They, just even something as simple as travel cannot be taken as it's just going to happen that way. A, a lot of the time... James is writing to a group of people that lived around the Mediterranean Sea, and so if they were going anywhere, a lot of times they had to take a boat. They had, they had to go by boat. And what didn't seem like maybe to us long distances were treacherous because a lot of the times people trying to make their way as sailors, as getting people to and from places, didn't really have the skills necessary to hack it as sailors. And so they weren't able to deal with the wind and the rain and the waves. They talk about travel. They talk about making a profit. We're going to go to this place and we're just going to make a profit. We all know how foolish it is to count your chickens before they hatch, right? That's what they were doing. That, that, that somehow they, they felt that just by saying it, it was going to happen that way, that they were projecting out a whole year. They were saying, it's going to happen this way. We can tell you what the next year of our life is going to look like. And James just says, come on, guys. This is crazy. This is crazy that you think it works this way. This is nuts that you guys think that just simply by saying it, it's going to happen. That you're doing something that is impossible. You're trying to predict, not just predict, but control the future. I used to always wonder about when uh, people would be going in for surgery and they would have to, the anesthesiologist would tell them, okay, start counting down, you know, 10, you know, down. And I always wonder, like, how far can you make it? Like, can you make it all the way to one? Can you make it to zero? Like, could, could you do that? And I was like, I, I think I could. I think I could do it. I think it's like more of a mind over matter thing. That if I try hard enough, if I really concentrate, I can do this thing. And then my time came um, because in high school, I had to have a plate put in my arm. And so I'm, I'm laying there on the operating table, and the anesthesiologist stands over me and says, okay, I'm going to put the mask on you, and I want you to start count- counting down from 10. And I thought, yes, I can finally see how far I can go. And that's the last thing I remember. And I, I didn't make it any further. 
Um, I, I, really, I really did believe because I was in high school and I was stupid that, hey, if I just try hard enough, if, if I really think about this, if I want it bad enough, if I can get mind over matter, I can, I can count down to zero. I can do it. And I'll just be sitting there being like, man, you got to turn this stuff up. That's not that strong. I was trying to do something impossible. That, that is exactly what these Christians that James is addressing were doing. It's like just... Nobody lives this way. Nobody thinks like this. Everybody knows that if you live your life this way, that you can somehow control the future. You can predict exactly what's going to happen. That you can say, because we say it's going to go this way, that it will happen that way. Nobody does that. But I think James points it out too because it's a pretty common human trait, isn't it? We do this. We want to know so desperately what is going to happen in the future. We want to protect ourselves from the things that could potentially happen. So much of our life is consumed by, in the present, what's going to happen tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. And what could happen. And so how do we protect ourselves from that? Because we're overwhelmed by the sense. The sense that our happiness, our meaning, our survival... That it's all intricately dependent on what happens in the future. And so we want to be able to plan for that. We want to be able to protect it and secure it as best we can. And what's more, Scripture says that this is wise. It is wise to plan. In Proverbs uh, chapter 21, verse 5, uh, it says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. It's a good thing to plan, Scripture says. You should plan. You're actually pretty foolish if you don't plan, if you take reality into regard as you do that. The only problem is that we plan around things that will fail, don't we? This group of Christians was taking into account and counting on things that have been known to fail from time to time. Travel arrangements fall through. Business plans go Chris Flat. It doesn't matter how good the plans are, how faithful you are, if you do it by all of the right Christian principles. Sometimes these things we run into are just too big and that we think we can control them and when we come up against them, we find that they're the force, not us. I mean, have you ever wondered why we seem to keep doing this though, that we keep as much as we want to secure our future We put our hope and we put stock in the things that we've seen fail time and time again. How many of us are relying, have our our financial future tied up in the stock market? That that's where we put away, that we say that's that's the good thing to invest in. That's what we should do. And yet, what caused the Great Depression? What caused the Great Recession? Is the stock market crashing? We had a housing crisis 12 years ago. Was the lesson that we learned, don't buy a house, don't invest in property? How many of us have bought houses since then? How many of us are worried about having a house, making the mortgage payment, all those sorts of things? We plan around things that will fail. We, we, we try to understand them better. We try to know them better. We act like we understand them better. I don't, I, I act like I do. I still don't know what a subprime mortgage is. Um, other people talk about it and they're like, that's the reason the housing market crashed. I'm like, yeah, did, yeah, yeah, subprime mortgages are the worst. Um, I have no idea what I'm talking about. 
We don't know what else to do. We don't know. We, we, we know that we, we, need to, we need to know that we can count on tomorrow. We, we need to know that it's secure, that there's going to be something there, that whatever comes about, that we're, we're ready to face it. And, and yet the only things that we know or, or, or seem to be able to come up with that we can turn to is, is stuff that we kind of know will fail at some point. We just kind of hope it's not when we're around. And so... We find ourselves in a crisis because we're desperately seeking to protect the future by investing in institutions and methods and goods and people that we know will fail. And so in our worry and anxiety, we actually lose the present while trying to secure what's to come. We actually aren't able to be present. We're, we're so consumed with, with, with how, how can I hang on to what I've already got that we don't even take stock in what we do have. We, we, we don't invest in the thing now, the people now. And I, I think so many of us, we, we feel this. We feel this tension of, of, of do I put everything forward or, 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 or do, I, do I just hang on to now? And, and so we read James' words here where, where James says, hey, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And so a lot of us hear that and we say, you know what? It's foolish to plan. Because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I've seen so many people that have planned well and have seemingly protected their future. And then they get to a place that something like the stock market crashes and they're like, what am I going to do? There's nothing there left for me. And so we think then the answer is just don't plan. Just live for today. That's not the answer either, I don't think. And that's not what James is saying. The answer isn't just not to plan, which some people will do. My, My granddad grew up during the Great Depression. He saw the stock market crash and didn't think it was reliable. So instead of investing his money in the stock market, he put his money in his pants pockets hanging in the closet. He, he literally told my mom, he pulled her aside, he said, if I, when I die, you go through my pockets. And she's like, what are you talking about, Dad? Sure enough, one day she was grabbing him pants out of his closet and there was like $800 in one pocket, like just... That was his investment strategy. So we're prone to think because we've seen these things, okay, just live for today. Hang on to what you've got. The only problem is investing in your pants pockets doesn't go that far. So I think what James is after and what is helpful for us is he's saying there is, in fact, a way to plan wisely. There is, in fact, a way to protect the future. There's actually a way to predict the future. And you can do this in your life. But the reason all these things get out of whack and the reason we find ourselves in this crisis of do I put everything forward or do I just hang on to now is that something's out of place. And so there's just three simple shifts that we need to make that James is talking about here. They're easy, they're fundamental, but because they're fundamental, we tend to forget them. Let's go to... Verse 14, the second half of verse 14, where he says, What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And so the first shift that we need to make in order to plan wisely for the future is you need to shift your self-image. of How you see yourself, how you think of yourself, the perspective you use. James is talking to a group of successful Christians here, right? Um, and, and what we see going on is that success had led them to an inflated view of themselves. 
They had seen so many things in their life work. Just by saying we're going to do this thing, we'll see how it goes. It worked. Well, let's do this thing. Let's see how it goes. It worked. That at some point they had become the immovable force in their universe. That simply by saying it, by wanting it, by moving towards it, it would come into existence. They'd seen it happen time and time again, and so they'd actually gotten to a place that they felt like they were the ones in control. They were the ones that whenever they came up against anything, it had to move out of the way. It had to make room for them. It had to submit to their will. It was simply an issue of mind over matter. James says this is so dangerous because arrogance based on past success has a way of blinding us to the reality that we live in. It has a way of of, of moving into the blind spots of our life, the real dangers that are at play, the uncertainty in which we live. And so he sees it as his job to pull them back to a proper, bigger, more long-term perspective for, for not just their life, but how their life fits into everything. He, he's telling them, remember what you are in the big picture of things. This life that you think the world revolves around, he says is temporary. He says, you're a mist, you're fleeting. That in the grand scheme of everything, you're not going to be here that long. Your desires, and as much as you seek to protect them, they will run out, they will run dry. We can easily begin to believe that we're more permanent than we are. We have so many safety nets around us that we begin to believe we're actually in control. That simply because we say we want running, clean, drinking water, and we turn on a faucet, we can have it. That simply because we want power, we can hit a switch, and we have it. That all of these things around us that we take so for granted are at the tip of our fingertips day in and day out, that we actually begin to believe that just simply because we want it, we get it, and we get it as soon as we want it. But there are things and times that remind us just how little control we do have. I can't remember, it was a few weeks ago, I think, but some of you woke up without power on a Sunday morning, right? Probably came to church looking a little differently than you normally do, right? Because you didn't have that thing that you rely on so much that you thought you were in control of and can have whenever you needed it. There are things like a coronavirus that show us how little control we really do have. That all of a sudden with things that do seem trivial, making plans, travel arrangements, we all of a sudden have to say, oh, I don't know, we'll see what it's like then, right? Right? That before all we had to do was set our mind to it, set a date, 
put the down payment on it, and we had it. Like, there was no question about it. And yet we're having to say, well, we don't know. It seems bigger than us. It's out of our hands and out of our control. We'll see how things go. We have sports leagues, these giant organizations that are so used to having their way, being seen as the organizations, the people that can move society, move the needle of what we think and what we believe, that they're seemingly in control of everything, not just their league, but our opinions. They're having to send memos to their teams and saying, we might have to play games without fans there, but we don't know what it'll be. We don't, we don't know. We'll, we'll see. Things that these people that are so powerful are not used to having to say. All of a sudden, something like a little, tiny, microscopic virus is showing us just how uncertain all of these things that we bank on can be. It's putting into perspective just who really we are, Right? There are things like tornadoes in Tennessee and wildfires in Australia that cause us to stop and to say, these things are pretty big. And so a lot of the plans that we make, a lot of the things that we say, well, if we just simply say it, if we put enough of our resources at it, it'll stop it in its tracks and we can go about living our lives as previously planned. You have to say, well, maybe this is bigger than us. Maybe we're not as in control as we thought we are. James is pulling this group back to an understanding and perspective that the future is more than just a year, five years, 20, or even 40 years from now. That there is an eternity to consider and that they fit inside of it. He says, if you never consider this and you become arrogant to the point of controlling the future. This... This seems like, I'm going to throw it on James because he's the one saying it. I'm just telling you guys about it. This seems like it's a pretty down thing. Like, hey, remember you're missed. Like, you're not going to be here that long. What's life? Doesn't really matter. Don't worry about it sort of thing. That it's this low view of of your value. When actually it's the complete opposite. Because an idea, an image of yourself where you're at the center of everything, that you're what matters, that it's your will that controls everything. It is an image of yourself saying, I am only going to matter for maybe 80, 90, 100 years tops. That I need to get and do everything I can right now because this is all the time I've got. That maybe if I'm lucky, if I'm like one of the really lucky ones and I do something spectacular, I might be remembered for 200, 300 years, maybe. When in reality, understanding and knowing that there is an eternity that we are a part of, that there is a future that goes so far beyond we can't even begin to comprehend, and we are a part of that. That who you are matters, not just for today, not just for tomorrow, not just for the next 100 years. Who you are matters for all of eternity. That is your worth. And so maybe it's a good thing that we're not in control. Maybe it's a good thing that we're part of this. Because it actually does mean we mean more. And so because these are fundamental things, there's just some things for us to remember. And so tied into this shifting our self-image, a good thing to remember is this. Wise planning starts with admitting you aren't in control. There are things outside of you. And Scripture 
is full of examples that we could point to. Things like the Tower of Babel or Pharaoh in Egypt during the Exodus or the Pharisees during Jesus' day. People that had an inflated sense of self and control over what was going to happen in the future. And these are warnings to us about where it will lead us and what we will do and what this looks like and how it is not pretty. That's why Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Wisdom and the ability to plan well for the future begins with understanding how temporary our life here is and yet our eternal life goes well beyond it. James goes on in chapter 5, and he continues to address uh, a group of rich Christians, and he says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. If this isn't anything to make you be like, okay, you can have all of my bracelets, um, all of the necklaces, just take them now. Um, Don't need any of that in my life. What James is talking about, the, the, the second shift in our life that so often needs to be made is we need to shift our appraisal methods. We need to shift in our mind and in our heart and in our life what is truly valuable. See, predicting the future is all about security. And, and so in this quest to secure tomorrow and, and beyond that, we seek to accumulate what we can and we seek to accumulate especially things that we think will never lose their value. I mean, there are people that accumulate, and then there are people that accumulate things that we think are valuable and will be valuable and can be turned into something later. And because of that, they give us a degree of security because we have them and we have a lot of them. I mean, I could sum up like midday TV commercials into like three categories and, and, and what they're like. One of them is commercials that tell you, this guy comes on, somebody comes on and says, hey, you know, stock market's not that valuable. You know what is valuable and what's never lost value? Gold. And guess what? Value's never been higher. So, you know, you should, you should invest in gold and, like, dig a hole in your backyard and just stick it there, you know, sort of thing. Because, you know, it won't corrode. It won't lose its value. It's always going to be worth something, they say, right? James says that's not true. That actually nothing we find valuable in this life actually does what we think it will. That even gold will corrode. He, he uses this image of, of corrosion, and it's so vivid, and he talks about what it does, and that it actually, it doesn't just corrode, corrode but it starts eating, eating us. Because he uses gold specifically because it's shiny, and it's pretty, and we like it, and it's never lost its value. But also because gold doesn't actually corrode. We think it is this surefire, slam dunk, it's always going to be able to do something for us. And James says it won't. It won't because it only has value because we say it has value. And guess what? If you have a proper self-image and you understand that you're not temporary, then the value of gold isn't temporary. Nothing that we tend to put value in in this life has the lasting value we think it does. That we actually need to value what is eternally valuable, what's really important. Okay, it's March, which means it is the best time of year 
because there's a lot of basketball going on, right? Like, so good. S- such a great time to be alive. Um, and uh, I-, I-, I tend to be a little scatterbrained this time of year because, quite frankly, like, there's one thing and one thing only that matters to me for the next month, and it is Kentucky basketball. And so, tell you what, though, like, one of the frustrating things about being a basketball fan is uh, when you are rooting for a team, you're a fan of a team that consistently plays down to the competition. You guys know what this means? Have you heard of this phrase, right? It's this idea that it's a team that's really good, and they know they're really good, and so they play a team that has a lesser ranking uh, uh, record, all of that kind of stuff, and they're like, we should beat these guys easily. And so the game is a whole lot closer than it should be because they know. Like, we don't have to put in 100% effort uh, to beat these guys. And the, the approach is so frustrating because it's based out of arrogance. And as a person sitting on your couch at home, you're yelling at these guys to try harder. And you just know if they would, if they would get over themselves, this wouldn't be as nerve-wracking as it is for you. It is the perfect illustration for what it looks like to live and play for lesser things. Because coaches always talk about, with teams like this that are prone to do this and that are really good, they, they challenge their team, don't play just to win the game. Actually play to beat yourselves. Play to play your best. Play to play better than you did the last game. That it's actually a lesser thing, which is a crazy idea, right? That in a game of basketball, the object is just to win. The coaches have to say, that's like the second like, that's a lower objective. That's not what you should be shooting for. What you should be going towards is your best, the best that you can do. James is almost yelling at these Christians saying the same thing. You can accumulate a lot of gold, and it looks really good, and by all the world's standards, you're secure, but don't stop short. That is a lesser objective. Go for something better. We have this tendency to build our life around the accumulation of what we find impressive. And time and time again, Scripture shows us what we find impressive is not that impressive in God's kingdom. In Revelation 21, this image of what the new Jerusalem is, is going to look like, and it's amazing. We read it and we're like, wow, that sounds beautiful. It says the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. We're like, that sounds amazing, and it's so impressive because it, it's this city made of jewels and gold and everything like that, and we miss the point of the image and what John is showing us. He's saying the things that you find impressive that you put stock in, guess what? In the scope of eternity in God's kingdom, they're so unimpressive, you walk on them. That there is someone greater at the center of it all. And his worth and his value is such that you look at these things that you've spent your life chasing after and you think that somehow secure your future and you're just like, ah, let's use it for street pavers. Ultimately, if we can handle it, if we can accumulate it, if we can control it in some way, it isn't that impressive. James is saying. But we're easily impressed by shiny things that have value now, right? So remember this, thinking eternally doesn't come naturally. We are going to see the gold and the sparkly things of this life, and it is going to draw us naturally. 
And so we need to be connected to God to be able to constantly be shifting how we appraise and assign value in our life of what really is important for our future. This is why he says in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thinking eternally doesn't come naturally to us. Okay, we sandwiched it in. This is like the heart of what James is saying. He gets to his point actually in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so James is saying, you need to shift your desire. This idea, this saying that if the Lord wills it, let's do it, you know, and so many people say, well, Lord willing, well, let me, let me just say this. This isn't just some saying that James wants us to add on to the end of our emails or whatever we were going to say anyway. This isn't like you saying something and say, oh, well, knock on wood, you know, hopefully, you know, we won't jinx ourselves. But how often do we do that, right? We, we say what we want to do. We haven't taken God into consideration of it. Then we remember we need to take God into consideration on it. So we just tack him on the, to the end of everything, right? Well, if God wills it, if he wants it. James is saying that we actually need to aim for something better than just God's blessing in our life. Uh, last week at our growth group, uh, we were talking about... Um, the Lord's Prayer, and Wayne Schock brought up uh, the part in Matthew uh, 6.12 where uh, Christ talks about forgiveness in that prayer. Uh, here it is, it, it says, uh, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And, and Wayne asked the question, um, so is this conditional or is it something else? And um, I really don't like it when people ask questions in my growth group I don't have the answer for. Um, and we talked about it a little bit, and one of the things, Wayne had been in a conversation with somebody else, so this is like third hand, I don't know if it's true, um, but, uh, no, I do know that's true, because uh, I researched it. Uh, the question is, is this, is this about like, we'll be forgiven how we forgive people, or is it the idea of asking God and saying, you know what, God, I'm in a place right now where I don't want to forgive that person, but I know you want me to, and so would you change my heart? To want to forgive them. We, we all have been there, right? There, there are people that have wronged us and they've done things and we know we should forgive them. We know it's good for even us to forgive them, yet we don't want to forgive them. They don't deserve to be forgiven. And so, of course, in a prayer, our, our prayers aren't just simply, hey, God, like, do this thing we've already been doing. Our, our, our prayers so often need to be done in a way that we're saying, God, change my heart, change my desire to your desire, that I would do what you want to do, not just keep doing what I want to do and have you bless it. In the same way, I think that is what James is saying here. This is a prayer that we are to be saying. This is how we're to be living our lives out of that. We should always be asking what God wants us to do. And we should be asking for his help that our desires would be his desires. That he would shift what we truly want to see in our life. And so we need to remember that we need to change the source, not the conditions. So often our prayers and our hope is that the conditions of our life will change where our plans will be blessed, but actually we need to change the source of our plans. That they come from God and God alone. That they begin there. 
That the better solution, the, the better thing God has for us is to shift what you want to see in the future. That it's not that you want to see your security or, or even your ways, but that you want to see God's will to be done. Because I can tell you this more than anything else, and this is where it gets good, that you can predict the future. You know why? Because what's going to happen tomorrow is God's will will be done. And what's going to happen the day after that is God's will will be done. And what's going to happen into eternity is that God's will is going to be done. And so if you want to live securely, live for God's will. The greatest way to prepare for and be ready for whatever the future holds is to be living for his will today. And by living for his will today, it's the only way that we can actually still be present today in a way that is intentional. Because usually if if we give up on the future, our our, our tendency is to say, well, I'm just going to live today and do whatever I can and just get as much as I can out of today. But if we know that our future is moving into a eternity that is secure because of Jesus Christ and where that is going and that he is one, we live intentionally then today to love him and love others as he has called us to love them. Instead of giving up and saying there's nothing left for me, we lean into and say God still has me here because he's moving towards something in the future and I'm a part of that and I want to see that happen in my life and the life of those around me. How many people I talk to that they're so worried about losing their mental abilities before their physical abilities. That they, they know that they can do everything physically, but if, if their mental abilities leave them, if, they're no longer to, if they no longer are able to take sense of where they are and what's going on around them, how the physical abilities don't mean anything. James is talking about losing your soul before your body in that way. When we lose sight of eternity, either the future becomes too much to handle or we simply live for what we can get today. Only through Jesus can we live for eternity in the present. As a parent, I have become so aware of how in moments where I feel as though there's nothing to do, which it's kind of ridiculous that I think there's any of those moments, but... In moments where, like, no kids are awake and there's, like, nothing to do around the house and and that sort of thing, and those, like, 30 seconds of the day, how quickly my mind goes to, how do I redeem this time for me? What do I want to do? What what, what can I get out of this? And, And how James's words say that is the mentality that starts you down a path to lose actually what's most important. That's, that starts you down a path where you will lose the security of your future, no matter how much you're trying to grab onto it and hang on to it and ensure it for yourself. I, 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 was, I, I met somebody this week, and we were talking over coffee just about their life and where they're at, and they're newly retired. And uh, we were talking about what that means and what they're looking forward to and the plans that they have. And he shared with me how he's been challenged by going through things like follow and sending school here at the church, things we've talked about in those places. And he says he felt challenged to not simply see retirement as being free to do what he wants, but free to do what God wants. That he's been given this thing, he's been given this time uh, to be used for God and by God. And instead of asking himself the question that so many of us ask with any time that we have, 
No matter what stage of life we're in, we, 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 we've been given, some of us more than others, the, the, these gifts of, of time and money and, and place and posture and, and, and relationships and, and influence. Because we don't think eternally naturally, our first thought is, how can I redeem this for me? How can I set myself better up for the future? If we start in a place with God, we understand how we fit into eternity in his eyes. We start to see his will and want his will. What we start seeing is that these things have been given to use for him, and we can use them freely and, and love those around us and be present with people today, loving them and loving God better through the things he's given us. Why? Because we're free to do that because we don't have to hang on to it because tomorrow is secure in Jesus Christ. Our eternity is is safe because of him. And what's more, because we know where we're going, we can live for that today. 